I think the best run-on sentence ever written is in Hebrews 12. You want to hear it? Good, because it's in my notes. That's what we're going. <laughs> there you go. Best run-on sentence ever. Not just in the Bible, but ever. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. God brings people together. And in Jesus, you can know a peace that passes understanding, or so I'm told. And captives are set free in this story. And all who feel empty are filled with overflowing out of springs of forgiveness. And in Christ, we are made strong. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let's pray together. God, we believe above everything that you are a God of promises, who keeps your promises to us from generation to generation. On those days when we are fully aware of your promises lived out among us, we give you thanks. And on those days when we doubt and sometimes just flat don't believe that it could be possible, please give us strength for the journey. Walk alongside us, carry us, lift us up through one another so that we may endure and continue on this path of salvation and everything it entails. In the name of Jesus, amen. So I grew up, like many of you did, during the Cold War. And one of my most vivid, my earliest memories is hiding under my school desk at the command of my teachers. I thought it was a game when I was a child. I didn't realize what was happening. I just thought this was something that we did every once in a while. It was in the late 70s and early 1980s that every once in a while, my teachers, and for some reason, I don't know why these things stick in your memory, but I remember Miss Ullman. Mrs. Ullman, who we swore was 100 years old, she had this distractingly bright white hair. I mean, it was white, white, white. And she almost, all, in my memory, it was every day, but most days she was wearing a solid forest green dress. So that's just the way I remember Mrs. Ullman. And every once in a while, it seemed fairly often, Mrs. Ullman, right in the middle of class sometimes, would drop everything and almost shout, or at least it felt that way because of the seriousness of it, that 
children, it's time for a nuclear drill. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what nuclear was when I was nine years old in Mrs. Ullman's class. But I remember that when she said that, we had to scoot out of our desks, which back then were made of steel and particle board on top with a little place that your pencil could sit. And we would climb under our desks and kneel. I would demonstrate for you today, but... Not, but you get the idea, right? Then some of you remember this. Slide under your desk and duck. Because in the event of a nuclear war, a particle board desk. I don't know. It was the thinking at the time. I thought at that time that nuclear meant clouds. I thought it had something to do with the clouds in the sky because I, keep, I kept hearing throughout time something to do with a mushroom cloud. And so I just thought it was clouds. And I remember that when we would have these drills, you know, I would have stains on the knees of my jeans because you know, the floors of my school weren't always clean. And anyone, I think, over maybe 40 has these kinds of memories, whether going back, you know, to things like Sputnik and the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, and movies like Dr. Strangelove and the ultimate one, Rocky IV, where Sylvester Stallone played a very muscular Ronald Reagan and Gorbachev was played by a very tall Swede. Did you know that was actually a metaphor for cult? Anyway. But growing up under the threat of nuclear war with Russia started fading as I got older. And it felt like that it was gone for good when on my 18th birthday, and I remember this quite vividly, when on my 18th birthday in 1990, Roger Waters of Pink Floyd gathered with a huge group of musicians and performed the wall at the crumbled Berlin Wall, which, again, if you grew up during the Cold War, was a huge symbol of the Cold War. I dreamed even then of raising my children outside the threat of radiation poisoning and dictators bent on world domination. I thought we were past that. When I turned 18, and I think we were for a while, and I admit readily that that was a mistake. We're not there yet. And I realized that my children and your children, right now, are at least getting a glimpse, a taste, once again, of what it was like during the Cold War. But what I remember the most is what I was told as a child. I was told it directly and indirectly during my entire upbringing, which was, hate the Russians. Russians are bad. 
They were always the bad guys in stories. You think back to the stories and films of the 70s and 80s and who always played the bad guys. It was always the Russians, whether Ivan Drago or Red Dawn or Boris and Natasha in Rocky and Bullwinkle. The Russians were always the bad guys. And such stories get you to think of the bad guys as all bad. Everyone painted with big, big brush strokes. But then you go into adulthood like I did, and you hear Sting sing a song called Russians, where he sings over and over again, that the Russians love their children too. And so this series has reminded me personally during this era in which we live. This series has reminded me personally that in order to swim in the sea of God's forgiveness, that means I need to be a person of forgiveness not hatred. We together need to be about the work of bringing others together and cultivating peace by actually practicing peace. And above everything, seeing the big picture of God's salvation in our lives, let us be people of connection, peace, wholeness, forgiveness, and enduring strength. So the book of Hebrews is the perfect book for those of us Jesus followers who've been around for a while. Generation after generation. It has the basics, but it also is a very complex book that tells a deep, deep story. It is the perfect ending to a perfect book that reminds us that no matter what our own fears and doubts, no matter what our own circumstances, the kingdom of God is an unshakable kingdom, a steadfast kingdom, resolute, constant, unwavering, immovable, and firm. It is the creation of God that we know through Jesus that nurtures the very thing that we've been talking about for the past couple of months, connection and peace and wholeness and forgiveness and strength. And what this book and what I hope this last two months has reminded us of is that a few people do not represent the whole. And when you really sit down and get to know someone one-on-one, you begin to realize, no matter what you've been taught, that number one, They have a story. And number two, they probably want the same exact thing that all the rest of us want, which is to love and to be loved. So let's just listen for a little while. Take a deep breath. Try not to let your mind wander. I know we're not used to hearing stories read to us anymore. But try to really listen 
to this ending to the book of Hebrews and everything that it has to say to us today, that it spoke yesterday and that it will continue to speak tomorrow. So here's where it starts and where we'll start today in Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. For if we willfully persist in sin after having received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful prospect of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has violated the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by those who have spurned the Son of God, profaned the blood of the covenant by which they were sanctified, and outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know the one who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall those earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to abuse and persecution, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion for those who were in prison, and you cheerfully accepted the plundering of your possessions, knowing that you yourselves possess something better and more lasting. Do not, therefore, abandon the confidence that is yours. It brings a great reward. For you need endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet, in a very little while, the one who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. My soul takes no pleasure in anyone who shrinks back. But we are not among those who shrink back and are so lost, but among those who have faith and are so saved. Saved, saved, saved. So together with one voice... Let all of God's people say, Amen. So now for the epilogue to the whole series. That was the last sermon in the series, but the whole series needs an epilogue. It needs a final word. And so as the final word, hear the word of the Lord. It's kind of the rest of the story from Hebrews 12. And again, listen carefully as you can. Try not to let your mind wander because like Romans 12, Hebrews 12 is a big one. In fact, it may be one of the most important chapters we could read today. So, much at least of Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in the sin that so closely clings to us. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. I want to say this before we read truly what I think is the rest of the story, not just Hebrews, but the big story. That phrase at the end of the beginning of Hebrews 12, I think was written for a group of second and third generation Christians at the end of the first century who endured the death and kidnapping of their loved ones under the hands of the Roman Empire and insiders. That's why that was written. But generation after generation, there are groups of people who gather together in Jesus' name who fit this description, the description at the end of Hebrews 12. Those who grow weary and lose heart. I know for a fact out of conversations with many of you and many of you and many other people that some of you are weary and tired and at points during this era that we have endured and continued to endure that you have lost heart or are at times losing heart or feel like some days it's just right on the edge. I'm not going to tell you anything beyond this word that we need so much today. Consider Him Jesus, who endured such hostility against himself from sinners so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. If we are going to be a people of connection and wholeness and peace and forgiveness and endurance, let's continue to not only pray for one another, but also be here for each other because we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, but we are also surrounded by people who know what it is to get weary and some who lose heart. This is why we need to hear this today. Because then a little deeper into the chapter comes the all-important so what. This is not just the so what of this series. This is not just the so what of the book of Hebrews, but like Romans 12, this is, I think, the big answer to all our wonderings, not just about salvation, but where we fit into this present world that is marked over and over again by cold wars that just keep resurfacing, not to mention 
this, I think, is the perfect ending to the past two years. This rest of the story from Hebrews 12 was written probably toward the end of the first century, but it might as well have been written on the 27th of March of right now. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather healed. Pursue peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And through it, many become defiled. See to it that no one becomes like Esau, an immoral and godless person who sold his birthright for a single meal. You know that later, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no chance to repent, even though he sought the blessing with tears. You have not come to something that can be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of whose words made the hearers beg that not another one be spoken to them. They could not endure the order that was given. If even an animal touches the mountain, it shall be stoned to death. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse anyone who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused the one who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject the one who warns from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now, he has promised... Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of what is shaking. That is created things. So that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for indeed 
our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord.